Morning all. <clears throat> he can be my translator. I'm from the north of England, of course, so... Uh, <clears throat> it's tough. It's, it's so hard. We, my church is 500 meters from seven miles of beach. We have air you can breathe rather than air you see. A five-mile drive takes about 10 minutes. Well, you're not too bad here, are you, unless you're going through the city. So we used to live in Wimbledon, and uh, we lived in London for 14 years while I, I did Bible college and planted churches. And um, the church I now lead, I've led for the last 17 years, we, we got saved into, I guess, as young children some years ago. Um, I came to Christ without any church background uh, because I found a Bible and read it. And uh, I found a Gideon's Bible in a bin bag. And uh, I snuck this thing into my bedroom and I used to secretly read it and I used to hide it under my mattress in case anyone found it. And I was absolutely shocked at this person called Jesus, at how relevant he was. And uh, the things he said made sense. And I had, as I said, no church upbringing whatsoever, so I didn't know what to do about anything. And uh, I think the one time I went to church was a boys' brigade. Some, one of my mates cajoled me to go to boys' brigade, which is some paramilitary organization attached to the church. And um, they made me march around a, a hall, and I thought, what? <laughs> why, do you, why do you come here? <laughs> so that was once. Um, I was in the choir at school because um, every so often they'd let you out to the local Anglican church for choir practice, so that was a good reason to leave the school. And uh, it would take us all afternoon to walk to the church and then walk back again. Um, so no church upbringing. Mum and Dad owned uh, amusement arcades in Blackpool on the Pleasure Beaches in Blackpool, Southport, Morecambe, which um, is a license to print money and um, means I'm pretty good at bar football and video games. And, uh, and so I find this Bible. I used to be a test engineer. That was the other bit of it. And um, shocking, this Jesus fellow, absolutely shocking who he was. And, and so I became, a, the only word I can describe is addicted to, to Jesus. And, um, and I wanted to know him more and more. And eventually I met my girlfriend here and uh, I, I popped the question to her, which was, so what do you think about God? Because uh, I was thinking about these things and uh, she said to me, well, I've got a Bible and a crucifix, that'll do. <laughs> because if you ever watched um, Peter Cushing movies, everybody knew you needed a, a, a crucifix, didn't you, in case the vampires knocked at your window. And, and so that was the level of our spirituality. And, and we fell upon Jesus, and we fell upon the New Testament, and, and we fell upon the things that he said and did, and how he treated people. And, and it all made sense, but we didn't know what to do. And then along came this guy called Billy Graham to Mission England in 1984. So I asked my dad, and I have the evening off, Dad, uh, middle of the summer, which was a miracle. And he said, yes. So we went across to the local Methodist church, and they had a sticker in the window for the Billy Graham Mission England thing. And we said, can we come in your minibus? 
to hear this person who apparently is going to tell us all about life. And they said, no, because the minibus is full of Christian people who are going to the meeting, so you can't come. So we got on our motorbike and we, we rode to Liverpool and he told us about the Lamb's Book of Life and how we needed our name in that book. And we just went forward and they asked at the, at the front of the um, crowds, and in, in fact we didn't get into, the, the whole of Liverpool Stadium, football stadium was full of people, so we sat on the grass outside and watched it on a large screen, and we all know the reward for coming early to church or coming late to church is what? Anyone know what that reward is? You get to sit at the front because you come early for a back seat, don't you? And, and there we were. We were outside, and, and they said, come forward if you'd like to receive Jesus, and we went forward, and they asked the question, so what, what, have you any questions? And I said, well, I've just got a couple, which is I don't understand the cross, and I don't understand this word sin that you keep talking about, but I know I need Jesus. And I tell you that because you are surrounded by people like that. And I found the Bible when I was 17, and I came to Christ, or was given the opportunity to come to Christ when I was 20. And I worked with a guy who was a Christian who every week went to church. And I wanted him to invite me, but he never did. And so eventually, I went to the church where he, was, he belonged. And I said to him, why did you never invite me? And he said, well, I just never thought you'd say yes, so I never bothered and how many times do we make an assessment of people based upon what we see rather than what God's doing in the heart? And as we sit in this room, all by himself, God the evangelist is talking to people in this community, all around you, all the time. And we get to bump into them and, and find out that God's working. And the great adventure that I'm now on, and I want you to be on with me, is to, is to meet God in the community. To ask the Holy Spirit, where's Jesus? And then go and find him. And see what he's up to. And if you get an opportunity, join in with it. It's absolutely amazing fun. And, and I have never stopped with that fun. And another component of life for me is the word of God, I know, is living and active. And I know you've heard that a million times, and you wish you'd had a pound for every time you'd heard it. But the fact of the matter is, it's alive. It has power all by itself to do stuff like raise the dead. And if people would just stumble upon the word of God, like I did, in a bin bag, little blue Gideon's Bible, it can raise the dead. It can open the eyes of the blind. It can cause people who feel like they're far off and don't know what to do to come home to the Father's house. And God can do that absolutely without any intervention from you. So that's the first point, by the way. You're all off the hook. God doesn't need you. Okay? Should we go home now? Second coffee. God doesn't, God doesn't need you at all. But he wants you. And he loves you. And he delights when his children 
respond to joining in the fun that he's having. And so it isn't that he needs you, get out there. But you get to go and run around in the field with your dad, chasing him around, trying to get hold of him. And one of my happy memories of my mum as a child was being giddy to the point of almost falling over and wetting myself, trying to catch her coattails when I was a little boy, maybe three years old. I have the memory of being in a big field. And, and just as I got to her to take hold of her coat, she'd turn and go a different direction. So I'd roll about, giddy as anything, trying to run after her again to catch her. And there's something about God, our Heavenly Father, that he loves fun and playfulness and joy and, and the bundle of it all. And, and when my grandchildren see me, of which we have five, the first thing they want is a fight. I don't know why that is. Not with Julie. They want food from Julie and, and mother hugs and all the rest of it. But they see me and it's bundle time. And there is something in the heart of God that is all about fun. It's all about the joy of it. It's all about, about getting you so excited that you want to fall on the floor and roll around and laugh. And I think we're in for a, a great eternity because there will be much, much more of that. Because God says he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. And that there'll be joy everlasting, full of glory. That we don't even have words to describe. It's a bit like the colors thing here, isn't it? We see in a spectrum of color. And we know from biology that insects see different colors to us because they see in a different spectrum. And I don't know what the animals do. But imagine if God, for a moment, gave you the full gamut of his spectrum of color, just for a moment, and what you saw in the cosmos was what he sees. And you saw the angels, and you saw the glory, and you saw things beyond words and beyond description. Just for a moment, would that change you forever? That'd be awesome, wouldn't it, just to, to enter into that? And I think that when we dream... When we close our eyes, sometimes we get close to that revelation. And there are people on the earth who have walked this earth and breathed air as we have done who have had those revelations and they've tried to describe them to us in the Bible. And so God wants to bring to you a revelation of his heart, a revelation of his beauty. And when we talk about you're beautiful, you know, we, we fail to find language to describe the beauty of God. And it's all around us. You know, philosophically, we haven't the language to, to go there. And so we, we approximate. We, he's kind of like this. I saw what looked like wheels within wheels. I saw what looked like a throne that headed in this way and that way and that way and that way. I don't know how it works. It seemed like there was a storm over a glass sea. And when I got saved, I used to go to heaven and have dreams. And then because I'd starting to read the Bible, I would find the places I'd been in the Bible. I think, oh, great. There it is. Because I didn't have the language until I found the place. And, you know, I want, if nothing else today, just to enlarge your vision for the more of God, enlarge your heart to receive the more of God. And I think that if, I, if I'm onto that, I think what I'm actually doing is lining up with what the Apostle Paul wanted for the church. And Paul describes 
being in an ecstatic moment where he didn't know, I know a man, he knows not whether he, he was in heaven or on earth, whether he was in the body or out of the body. And he saw things unspeakable. But what Paul did do and what Paul did give us was the unveiling of the mystery of the ages that the angels long to look into, that the, 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 the prophets and the men and women of God of old long to look into, but, but couldn't quite figure it out. Paul says that mystery is now revealed. So did Peter. And so these, un, well, one of them was unschooled, the other was an academic theologian. But between them, they give us something of a, of a broader um, palette of language and understanding and revelation for us to paint with the life that we have. And one of our songs today told us that uh, we're all going to meet him. Remember that? Okay. And um, that's nice. We, you know, in, in technical terms, that's called pie in the sky when you die. We're all going to meet him. But you see, we're, we're writing those songs out of our Western theology, out of our Western material enlightenment education. And we hope we live long enough to have a nice life on earth. But how about God goes, bam, and snatches us all up today in the suddenly of God, where we meet him now in the air, would that change your holiday plans? Perhaps you might not buy that caravan. The suddenly of God. And you see, we preach in the West a different gospel that is preached in the two-thirds world. Our gospel is, please keep me healthy and alive for a long time because I'm enjoying this and I'd like, to, like it to continue. I'm sorry, that's a very rough and probably offensive paraphrase. But you go to other parts of the world. Let's go, to, let's go to Syria for a moment. Let's go to South America. And it's, maybe today we'll see him. Maybe today we'll meet him. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. You see, the Western church, our church, the, the, the church here, we don't say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. When was the last time you heard that? Come quickly, Jesus. We say, please sort things out. We do hope Boris is going to play nice. And the, the next chancellor does okay with the tax. How about come quickly, Lord Jesus? What does that do to your theology? What does that do to the priorities of life that you're now walking with? What does it do to your thoughts about your family members? To your neighbours, to your work colleagues, to the man and woman walking down the street, to the person who's suffering to the person who has no hope, to the person living in one of, the, of what I describe to my students as the six poverties. Spiritual poverty being the first and highest. Poverty of identity, poverty of community, poverty of um, material possessions, poverty of hope, poverty of vision. You see, the gospel addresses all of them. The gospel is the answer to poverty. Not just material poverty, that's way down the list. You see, where I live, we have Blackpool, which is the inner city of London, Manchester, Liverpool, and Birmingham, moved to the seaside, and Glasgow, for Bob. <laughs> the Glaswegians, I can speak Glaswegian. 
I can say words like heed. On me heed. You see, we have that, but if you move down the coast, you have the other part of, of Blackpool, posh Blackpool, called Lytham St. Anne's, where we have the Royal Lytham Golf Club, we have British Aerospace Wharton, we build the Eurofighter, the F-35, Tyrannus, unmanned jets, all, all of that stuff that we do, where you look around in your helmet. One of the guys in my church designed the helmet that look, you select targets behind you by looking at them. You know, clever things to kill people. We're excited about the process of learning how to make your eyes move to a target, but we, we're not so cool when it comes to dropping bombs on Yemen. Did I say that? Um, so, in that place, people retire there because it's really nice. Really, really nice. It's, it's like Wimbledon by the seaside or Chorleywood by the seaside. It's really, really nice and there's big sky and air you can breathe. And, and they move in. And then all of a sudden, one of them gets a bit of a discomfort in their body that turns out to be something terminal, which means that their great plan for their retirement is now a lonely, sad, weeping person in a house too big for them. Okay, that's the poverty we can address with the gospel. And you move seven miles down the coast and we have people who are runaway slaves. In our three community cafes, we feed about 500 people a week. You know, off, off the drugs, men, mentally ill people, drugged people, prostitutes, um, slaves, literally, run, runaway slaves uh, in the United Kingdom. And there's a gospel for those people too. And we have all of that wealth in our pockets and in our, at our disposal. And what we need to discover as Christ opens the veil is that we are possessors of a kingdom with limitless resources. And the battle for you to possess your possessions takes place in your mind and in your and Paul knew this in the first century. And he wrote to the Ephesians church, which is a really developed letter, and it's blah, 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 commentary, commentary, blah, 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 good letter, blah, 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 young church, 20,000 people, blah, blah, blah. It's great. Okay, it's a good letter worth reading. And he tells them the mystery. And if you want to follow me, it's in... Um, Chapter 3, thanks to the monks who chopped up the Bible for us and put numbers in it. Love to talk to those guys. As, Why did you do that there? For this reason, I, Paul, I'm going to just read. The, I'm reading you into this to warm you up a little bit, and then I'm going to come to the point. Time do we finish? No, come on. Can I have another quarter of an hour? That, all right? that was an ecstatic, yes. I'm going with that one. Okay. So for this reason, I pulled the, the, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, so he's in prison at this time, uh, probably wrote Ephesians from um, prison around the time of Colossae. 
Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me, for you, that is the mystery made known to me by revelation. See, when I got saved, a mystery was made known to me by revelation. It's why I'm, I'm unshakable. I get cheesed off with church. I get cheesed off with life. I certainly get cheesed off with my kids, but not my grandkids. The reward for not killing my children. But I know whom I have believed. Do you understand that statement? I know whom I have believed. So, have you ever seen the white water rafters and they go over the waterfall and they disappear, don't they? And you think, he's gone, that's it. Dearly beloved, we're gathered here today. And then all of a sudden, no matter how much water pressure is on them, they bob back up, don't they? Welcome to the Christian life. The white water joys of the kingdom of heaven, when you go over the waterfall, you think, this is it. And then all of a sudden, you know, coughing and spluttering, we emerge again, don't we? That the buoyancy of your faith is stronger than the down pressure of hell, life and circumstances. And so what we pop, gasping for air, and then we go home and we brag about how awesome that was. <laughs> Let's do that again. And so Paul's in prison, and this is really, you know, think, just think about a first century Roman jail. I might, it might have been in a house at this point. But he was under arrest. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation. As I have already written briefly. In reading this then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been made revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. Okay, previous generations, they kind of looked towards the glow on the horizon. Paul says, light has shone in darkness. John said light has shone in darkness. And that light is the life of all men. He's the sophos of God. And this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. So in, in one verse, he gives three points that define the mystery of the gospel. Okay, So he says, this mystery is that we are heirs together, we are members together, we are sharers together in the promises that are for us in Christ Jesus. Okay? So there you have it. Mystery revealed. Mysteron. Who remembers? Okay. We are the Mysterons. Okay. The Mysteron of God is now revealed. And it's Christ for everybody. So I'll just take you back to my three-year journey waiting to be invited to church. I didn't think it was for everybody. I didn't think it was for you, you Gentile. Okay, Gentile, read scumbag. You Gentile, you dog. I mean, that was a Jewish insult for the Gentiles. They're dogs. And so Jesus plays on that word, doesn't he, with the Syrophoenician woman. Does, is it fair to give the dogs the children's bread? 
That's a Gentile Jew discussion right there. So your low-life scumbag, that's me, who doesn't deserve anything because you're irreligious and you don't come to church and when you do, you nick a Bible and, and all of those sorts of things that I used to do. No, I'm not going to tell you. No. I had a mental picture. The first Bible I received, I took my school compass and drilled holes in it because it was a holy Bible. But then again, I also did that to my action men. Used to set them on fire with aftershave and throw them out of the bedroom window. <laughs> Mum would come in and say, have you been using your brother's aftershave? Yes. <laughs> what a bad lad. What a mad lad. <sighs> so this mystery is revealed. Grace is for everyone. Oh, yes, it is. It's, it's for the, the crack addicts of Blackpool. It's for the bankers in the square mile. You know, that you know, I'm, I'm now getting really beyond the pale. You know, the people who, who cause people to get into slavery. That he would save a wretch like me. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain? See, that's, that's the hymn of Paul on his way as, as a religious authority, as a Taliban, to go and kill a few of them Christians. And God knocks him off his horse and sends him into a three-year tailspin to work out and to revise his understanding of the Old Testament. That we're saved by grace through faith, not by works. And therefore, it's for everybody. And so Paul's the apostle of grace, isn't he? And this is the mystery. And I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, because he persecuted them all, that was his view of himself, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Okay, so... Here, here we're just talking about the attributes of God. He's eternal. How long does that continue? Forever and ever and ever. Okay, that means he's limitless. Well, how about his perfections? They're perfect. Because if he wasn't perfect, there'd be someone else who would be worshipping. So his grace is boundless and it's perfect. And it's been given to you. Okay, so here's the point. You can't add anything to what he's given you. It's not possible. It isn't the, oh, go on, I'll give it to you all. If you have the boundless grace of God, that means philosophically it is impossible to add to that because it's boundless. It's limitless. It's perfect. And so it isn't that in any way you are working towards the love of God. You're not working for that. And in fact, we, we start to assault, as in a military campaign to assault a castle, we start to assault the high place of God to attack it by trying to add any benefit, merit, or goodness to what God has done for us. We can't do it, can't add anything. 
And to do so is wrong. It's embarrassingly, shamefully wrong to, to assault or to offend the goodness of God by trying to add to his goodness any merit as though we can do anything. Got it? I mean, you're clever people, you are, many of you had that anyway. But don't we just slip into, I blew it, so I'm going to read my Bible more this week. If only I could um, pray more often. If only I could do this or that or the other. Because I just feel a little bit naked and ashamed. And so I'd better cover myself with some fig leaves. And I'd better hide from God until I've stitched my fig leaves together. No. Bold, we approach the throne of grace. Confident in the love of God that is for us in Christ Jesus. And so, within that love, all things become possible. All things are attainable. And this is the mystery that you are completely, as he says in verse 6, heirs together with Israel. Okay? You're the chosen people. So I, I like to mess with my Jewish friends because I tell them I'm a righteous Gentile. That I'm not having to work for it. I'm, I'm, I've entered my Sabbath as a righteous Gentile. And my righteousness has come from above, from, from uh, Jesus, Yeshua HaMashiach. And, you know, it, it's a struggle for us to enter that rest, to become heirs together, to become members together of the body of Christ, to become sharers together in the promise of Christ. That ask of me and I'll give you the nations. There are so many promises of, to Christ as Messiah that are now promises to you as the children of God. And all your promises in Christ are yes and amen. And, you know, I pressed the religious button there. I gave you something that you like to hear. But what I want you to do is really, really think about what it means for God to say to you, yes and amen, it shall be done. Wow, doesn't that change the game when that is the God that we serve? But there's a problem that we were talking about yesterday that many of us have been trained in unbelief by iffy doctrine. And point number one, point number two is we have not entered in through the gate. We've tried to climb over the wall through religious activity. And the gate says, you're welcome to enter through me into your rest, into the love of the Father, the love of the Son, the love of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul summarizes his whole life in one sentence, which we use at the end of the service as a benediction. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now. And there's apostolic injunction on that statement. It's not just, you know, the mood of doubtful assertion. It's not maybe it will happen, maybe it won't. It's this is going to be with you now. Because Paul the Apostle says, this is yours. 
And so you have received a benediction from the Father in the resurrection of Jesus Christ that Paul now has become an apostle of to tell you is true. But the problem is our unbelief and the problem is our works get in the way of you accessing your inheritance. And so Paul carries on in verse 7. And this is the point. I'm just going to bounce my way through this. Land the plane. You need the Holy Spirit. Okay, there it is. Today's message is you need the Holy Spirit. Why do you need the Holy Spirit? Because you can't get through that gate in your own strength. The gift of God is that we receive Christ by faith. So here's some faith. Okay, now you can come in. And so we enter in by faith that's even of itself gift to us. You are given the gift of faith from the Holy Spirit. And so Paul prays this prayer. He goes on to say, boundless riches. We got through that. Moving down, he says, intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, the manifest wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Okay, yes, the angels will adore and worship Jesus. Third heaven, second heaven. The principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness will be shown their abject failure at the cross, their abject uh, robbing of all authority and power in that Christ died once and for all for sinners like you and me. And that he has now given us his glory. He's given us relationship with the Father. And the principalities and powers will see he's done what you did not want to happen and they have ascended and you have descended. And forever and ever, the lamb who bears the marks of slaughter, who looks like a man, a Jewish man, sat on the throne of heaven, will declare, you failed and I won. And we have a testimony now that we have overcome the devil by the word of our testimony and by the blood of the lamb. And so he prays for the church that they would understand that we now have authority in the name of Jesus, that he has accomplished this through Christ Jesus our Lord in him and through faith in him, we may approach God. There it is. What do we want to do? We want to come into the Father's presence. You may approach God because Jesus died and rose again. I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings which are for your glory. And then he prays this prayer and this is the, one of the, of the high apostolic prayers. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth de derives its name. I pray, I'm getting my notes out now, it's getting serious. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people, the saints, to grasp how high and wide, how long and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love, to experience this love that surpasses the intellect, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. 
John 17, Father, give them the glory that you and I had from the beginning. He has given you faith to walk through a door, not climb over the wall of religious activity, to walk through a door that looks like a person into glory, great glory, into fellowship with God. Do you know what that means? It's like, let's sit down and eat together. Let's spend time in each other's presence. I'm going to chase you around the field. I'm going to tickle you when you're not looking. Okay, it's all those things that some of us have no grid for from our earthly parents. But he says, I am who I am. I am your father. I am your grace. I am your salvation. I am your fellowship. I am who I am to you. Without measure. Perfect. And so Paul says, if you're going to get there, you'll need the Holy Spirit to help you. And so the first prayer is he prays, this is such a Trinitarian prayer. He prays to the Father. I pray that the Father would send the Holy Spirit to help you enter in. I pray that the Father would, out of his glorious riches, strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your innermost being. So we talk about the 18-inch journey, don't we, from here to here. You've heard that cliche a number of times. Well, oh, the joy when it happens to you. It's transformational. It's a resurrection. It's a new day. It's, it's the thing that makes you the new creation. And some of you are scratching your heads, as I used to, about this whole thing. Saying, what is he on about now? I don't get it. I've heard the words, but I don't get it. I've not experienced that. And all I can say to you today is press in. Position yourself. Stand at the door and knock. Stand at the door, actually, that's open to you. Enter in through the Holy Spirit. By faith, believe in this one thing that the whole Bible is about. God is good and he's not mad with you. Okay? There it is. God's good and he's not mad with you. I know he's not mad with you because the wrath of God was poured out for all sin and transgression at the cross. Okay? And I looked under every chair. I could not find any condemnation for any of you. Try as I may. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You're in Christ. Do you know that walled garden? It's Christ. And you get to enter in because the Spirit comes upon you. And he draws you after himself. So, away with religion. The wicked witch is dead. Wicked witch. Dead. Have you had Ripino? I love that song. Oh boy, oh boy. And we enter in by way of the power of the Holy Spirit, strengthening our innermost being so that Christ would have somewhere to dwell. You see, if you come and approach the gospel of Jesus Christ in your own strength, you will crumble under the weight of that glory. Let me tell you what that means. It means 
Okay, ready? Can I just transport you to heaven? All right, let's go to heaven. We are now before the judgment seat of Christ. How do we feel? Anyone okay? You okay? She's okay because she's been strengthened in her innermost being with power. You see, when I stand before the judgment seat of Christ, my chains fell off in this life. My soul went free in this life. My sins were, all my sins, Colossians, all my sins were forgiven in this life. So when I stand before the judgment seat of Christ, it will be to be vindicated. That's scandalous, isn't it? That's shockingly scandalous. What do you mean you're going to be vindicated? Because I'm in Christ, the vindicated one. Okay? He died, I died. He rose, I rose. He ascended, I'm seated with him in heavenly places. Okay. So you need the Holy Spirit to strengthen your frame to receive that amount of grace and glory. Or else you'll start to creak under religious pressure which says, oh, oh no, this is too much for me. I'm going to drop it. <laughs> it's gone. I had it and I lost it. I had the peace and I lost the peace. I had assurance and I lost assurance. So please, Holy Spirit, please, please show me it's a done deal. That I get to keep this and not lose it. Because I need that in my life. And so we are, we're called into a relationship with the Son through the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit. I told you it was a great Trinitarian passage. And Paul prays that the Father would send the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon each and every one of us so that we can bear the glory. We can carry the glory. You are carriers of his presence. You are carriers of the ark upon your shoulders. You know the ark, the poles on the ark of the covenant were at the bottom, not the top. Because when the priests carried the ark on their shoulders, it was high and lifted up. You didn't see the priests. You saw the glory. And in the life of the church and in the life of the believer, what we do when we gather is we lift him up. So what the world sees is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit with us now. And when we live there, that's the Abrahamic Genesis 12 blessing, which is re re reflexive. If you read the Hebrew. I will bless those who bless you I will curse those who curse you. And NIV and lots of Bibles say, and, and through you I'll bless all nations. Better translation is through you all nations will seek to bless themselves. Because they're going to look at what you've got and want it. The English translations um, say... Through you, I will bless all nations. A better translation, or another translation at least, is through you, all nations will seek to bless themselves. That they will look at what you've got and desire it. 
Now, theologically, in terms of salvation history, that's a better fit for the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament is all about, I'm going to make you a light to the nations. I'm going to put you like a lampstand. And they will see you and run to the light because they want it. I will make you a vine and they will run to your branches because they want the fruit of what I'm doing upon you. Little Israel, I'm going to make you the foremost of nations. And foolishly, they began to boast in that rather than see that they had a functional ministry to declare the glory of God. So the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit with us now on our dear and illustrious pastor and all of you is to foretell a future kingdom. It's prophetic in nature. It says there's a community on earth that approximates to what's going on in heaven right now. So when we gather, that's what it should sound like. And when we gather, he gathers. Psalm 22, Jesus, I will stand amongst a congregation and sing your praises. And he's listening. Are we on his song sheet? Okay, Jesus died for us. Are we singing from his song sheet? Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come singing to Zion and everlasting joy will be upon their heads. So Paul prays, Father, send the Holy Spirit that they may be ruled by Christ. That we may have the rule of Christ in our hearts. Not the rule of condemnation, not the rule of the devil, not the rule of the flesh, not the rule of the world systems, not the rule of religion, which is demonic in nature, but the rule of Christ in our hearts. Let Christ dwell in you richly. Someone's moved Ephesians in my Bible. Outrageous. How would, why would they do that to me? And I pray being rooted and established in love, you may have power together with all the saints, with all the Lord's people to grasp the, the, the encounter of love. The encounter of love. Are you having the encounter of love today? He loves you. Dad's in the house and he's not mad. He came to meet with you. He came to run around, chase you around the tables, tickle you came to give you hugs because he needs, he needs his kids to look like him because the world doesn't and he needs his kids to show them the way home and to come find some more orphans that he can adopt them into his family because he knows them by name and he wants them in his house because he wants to tickle them too. You know, there's high theology and playfulness And so we are to know that love which surpasses knowledge. To have encounter after encounter. John, 1 John 3 says, Dear friends, now we are children of God and what, we and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. We have encounter opportunities every day with the love of God. Okay? And then Paul just says, 
You think I'm kidding? Really? You think I'm kidding? Let me tell you something. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. That includes this one today. Forever and ever. Someone say amen. And the preacher will stop. So he has become amazingly in a turbulent and changing world, our rock, our anchor, and our safe place. And that's what we carry in our hearts from this place today, by the power of the Holy Spirit. I've just expounded simply, very, very simply, some of the the words of Paul to us that share the mystery. But I pray for you that you would let him in to do his work. When I first heard this message, I got saved and, you know, I I was super keen. Well, I have to say, probably for the first few years of my Christian life, I was super active as an evangelist and all of those things. I was just so excited about everything. But I still had this nagging fear for the judgment seat of Christ. Am I okay? Have I done enough? Am I being faithful to the end? And it took me a while for the gospel to soak in as a Christian. And every so often I blow it. I have two biscuits instead of one. I dip them in my coffee. And I think, I have to go back to the basics. I'm saved by grace through faith. And the evidence of this is Christ died for me on the cross. And that the grace of our Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit are with me now and forever. And sometimes we have to go back to the simple drill of the Holy Spirit showing us again, you have a Father who loves you. And if we can be that, without pretense, a light will go on in Cambridge. And people will wonder, could it be true? Could it really, really be true that this Grace is for me. And go and find the most unlikely characters like me. Unchurched, happy little pagans. Go and tell them that Jesus loves them. But do so out of your experience, not just your words. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. So, I hope you see the dead raised repeatedly. Because when you look out there, it's like the zombies. It's the zombie apocalypse, isn't it? They drive big cars and live in nice houses and, 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 and go after complicated jobs. But it's dead people. Because to be without Christ is to be without hope in the world. They have a pulse, it's weird. How do dead people have a pulse? I don't know how that works, but it's almost like God's kept the body twitching long enough for you to get to them. And when I used to do paramedic in training on the lifeboat, um, you know, dead people don't CPR themselves. They need someone to intervene. 
And before you get to them, God will have intervened. He's the first responder. You're in the trundling ambulance behind. And I pray you have that adventure of seeing the dead raised. Will you join me in that prayer? Let's pray. Father, we, we ask that through the Holy Spirit falling in this room today, our hearts would be strangely warmed by love and by mercy and compassion and grace and the beauty of it all. The beauty of your holiness with blood, sweat and tears you embraced us and we pray Lord Jesus that today something would shift in our hearts towards parity and likeness that the Father's likeness would be upon us the Father's love would be in our heart who could not bear the loss of his family intervened with a saviour so perfect the angels hid their faces and cried holy, holy, holy we are the, the train that fills the temple behind you and the angels look upon us and cry holy, holy, holy we have been made holy so, Father, help us to lovingly, joyfully live our lives, expectant that at any moment you could snatch us away in the glory of your return. At any moment you could come. You, you tarried during this time. But let us live expectant and ready with our lamps filled with encounters, carrying the glorious gold of our redemption. And dad, what you've poured into us, be it one, five, or ten talents of gold, may we return with our hands filled. Here you are, Father. Here's the reward of his sufferings. We told them, Father, if there are any in the room today uncertain about their own salvation, seal it in with the encounter of your love. There is no shadow or change in you. We make you Lord of our lives again. We make you Lord of our time, Lord of our emotions. Lord of our aspirations, Lord of our responses, Lord of all that we are, as you first loved us. And Father, as we go from the memory of this hour, we go into your world to find the treasure. I ask for your blessing grace to remain in this place that it would go from strength to strength Father thank you there are windows in the roof where we can lock up and see eternity 
in the physical realm. Lord, we want to look into your face and have that encounter today. Give it away to somebody.